0: I'm glad that all of you are here. Our message is entitled, It's Not About You Making It Not About You. Okay. So when you think of community, what kind of community have you seen and experienced? Like, What do you think of when you think of community? Maybe we think of our neighborhoods. Maybe we think of our family culture. Uh, some of us, uh, when we're thinking about community, we think of TV sitcoms. I, I said family a moment ago, yes. And I also think of, of TV sitcoms as well. Any sitcoms come to mind to anyone else? Any, any sitcoms come to mind? Seinfeld, I have that on the paper. We're, we're, I'm tracking with you guys. Friends. Friends, that is second on the paper. I wish I had that, you know, like that, um, you know, like the ding, ding, ding in the X's, whatever the game show that was. Yeah. Family Feud. Yeah. Another one. I'm feeling really good right now. What, what is it? The Big, Bang the Big Bang Theory. Good. Not on my paper, but good. I'm thinking of one that takes place in a corporate structure. The Office. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I'm thinking one that's called Community. And another one I think of. I think of the Kardashians. Right? I mean, is there not community happening in the Kardashians? Okay, may- maybe not. Okay, maybe not. But still. I also think of the show Lost. I think of the show Lost a lot. Because I think that actually does give us glimpses into community. I mean, it's a show that like, says like, people will accept us regardless of who we were in our past, uh, despite our idiosyncrasies, uh, despite not knowing who we are and what we are and if we're alive or not alive type of a thing. Of course, this being a sermon series based uh, with, with themes coming from the 1960s. I should mention pop culture examples from there. Uh, so there's a show called Cheers that told us that the neighborhood bar could be a place where we all knew our names? Oh wait, that's, that's the 1980s, isn't it? Okay, um, how about Happy Days? Is, is Happy Days a, a, a show that would works from the 60s themes, even though it took place in the 70s? Okay, I don't know any pop culture themes from the 1960s. Maybe some of us could, could, could educate the rest of us. But from what I've seen of Happy Days, I think I'm glad that I missed out on that. Now, if we envy the community that we find in our sitcoms and reality TV shows, then I think we're going to find that we're in trouble. I mean, entertainment culture, I mean, it's easy to pick on because they're not really trying to model authenticity and community and that type of a life. In fact, they're just trying to entertain well enough to sell, to sell advertising, get a few more seasons, and in a best-case scenario, maybe win an Emmy or something. Now, when we think of community, like. You know, there, there's, there's all sorts of places that we think about, like, like sports culture, you know, collegiate and professional. We may think of, like, offices and, and, job, and the job world and, and the different places that we go and recreate and things like that. Hopefully, hopefully we think of church. I mean, community and church. Oh, that's a tricky thing. I mean, what makes community so hard to find in Church. I mean, is it not true that in church you can experience the best and the worst of community? Church, I mean, why, why is that? Well, I hate to point the finger, but the problem is you. And, and obviously moments like this probably don't help, so the problem is me as well, right? I mean, wh- why is it that c- community is so hard to find in these types of places? Sometimes we hear this line that it's, it's not about you. And and it's it's usually said in a very corrective, not loving way, right? I mean, it's just like an excellent catch-all for just about everything. It's not about you. It catches all sorts of dysfunction, all sorts of arrogance, all sorts of insecurities and inadequacies. I would love to reduce a little bit of the tension in this room and have us all admit to each other that at one time or another someone has said to us, it is not about you. Raise your hand if that's been said to you. Yes. Now, raise your hand if you've, been the, if you've been one person that has said that to someone else. It's not about you. Interesting thing, sometimes when we say it's not about you, it's, a, it's sometimes a very selfish tactic to get the attention back onto us, right? It's not about you. And you don't really say it's about me, but that's kind of what we're saying sometimes. I mean, there's this tendency also that we try not to make things about ourselves, and we, also, and we make this big show of it not being about ourselves, but it really is about ourselves, right? Like, we're, we're pretending that it's not about me, but it really is about me. And it comes across sometimes as self-serving. Sometimes we get away with it, but oftentimes it's self-righteousness. It comes across as false piety or false humility. In the, in the Christian sense, we're trying to be more Christian than we really are. This is what what Jesus was calling out with the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. You're a bunch of liars. You're not really like this. And tonight, we want to talk about one of the biggest barriers to experiencing community, and that is the lack of Christian humility. And so to do that, we want to look at one of the most beautiful passages that we have in Scripture that calls for community and shows us Jesus' humility. And it takes place in Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore. Now it helps if we remember the context that he's coming he's coming out of from the first chapter, and he's talking about suffering as as he ends the first chapter. And so hence there's this need of encouragement to be united with Christ. And then he shifts very quickly, Paul shifts very quickly to the need to be united in community. Um, And he's trying to say, hey, don't make this just about your suffering and how you can get out of it. And he's always saying, like, hey, think of others, be like-minded, have the same love, don't be selfish. Value the the needs of others before your own, because we're all suffering together right now. I mean, isn't that something that we would like to be a part of and not a fake version of that? Moving on to verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is probably the key verse in this section. It kind of hinges a lot of things together. Having the same mindset as Christ Jesus having the same posture as as Christ, thinking, trying to think in the same way as he did, trying to live and act and speak and love in the same way as he did. This is what we say we are following Jesus. This is the mindset of Jesus. And again, he's also pointing to Jesus' humility. And then we approach this next set of verses, 6 through 11, and, and, and most of our Bibles are kind of indented a little bit. Because it's often said that this is like a Christian hymn or or some type of Christian poetry. And it's often speculated, is Paul quoting some type of ancient Christian hymn that everybody knows. And there's a bit of debate on that. And so if I can get just a, a hair nerdy with you about that, for those of you who want to like, you know, understand the text a little bit better. No one knows if this is really a Christian hymn or not. Part of the problem is that it only appears here and like nowhere else. Like there's no like ancient hymn books that we've been able to find this. And we have been able to find some older you know artifacts of, of ancient Christianity, and this isn't really here. So one possibility is that Paul tried to write his first hymn, or Paul wrote this 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 um, this poem, and it and it's beautiful, and it sounds like Paul. And one of the beautiful things about it in, in not just the, the imagery and the words that he uses, but is also like the the ascension and uh, the, the descension and the ascension that he uses. Like there's defeat language, and then there's victory language. There's death language, and then there's life language. It's really powerful. So, So, try to grasp that as as I read along. Jesus, who be in verse six, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, there's all these fancy theological words like Iekinosin, Iekinosin, that describes that he made himself nothing, that he empties himself in other translations. And so from our reading of the Gospels, uh, we know that Jesus is still the Son of God in his likeness, in his essence, in, in all of his deity. But instead of using his power for his own benefit, he chose to be surrendered to the Father's will. And he too obeys and worships the Father. And this helps us understand like these moments in, in the Gospels where Jesus is praying to the Father as opposed to just praying to himself or speaking to himself. Yet he's, he never stops being God. I think it's also interesting that he, he never uses his power to his own advantage. And like when you think of people who, as soon as they have access to power, we think of like, oh man, power corrupts, power changes people. And ancient figures, we, we think of Alexander the Great, and we think of like, you know, during this time period we would have Augustus Caesar, and then we contrast them with Jesus. Th- these are the guys who are pretty much, who were or are ruling the world. And here we have Jesus. And I kind of wonder about this with Jesus. Like, like, some of us have gotten so used to the story of Jesus that, you know, we, we overlook how normal it would have been in the worldly sense for him to, to take advantage of this power and try to make it all about himself. I mean, he was clever enough also that he could have made it about himself and may, make it look that it wasn't really about himself, right? I mean, how easy would have been for him just showing up in front of a big army, let's say, and promising that he'll do miracles of healing for the people in their families if they were to give, them, give him their loyalty and allegiance. I mean, he could have an army overnight. I mean, remember the story of Jesus healing Uh, the the daughter of the centurion? What if he did that all the time? And what if he's, in exchange for whatever I'm going to give you, all you have to do is say that I am the Lord and overthrow Caesar. I bet you he'd be the new emperor. And he wouldn't just have to rely on his healing powers. He also had, like, you know, these incredible physical powers that we, we don't really often talk about. Like, do you remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's about to be arrested? This is in John 18. And he he's betrayed by the kiss, and here comes, like, the Roman guard to arrest him. And Jesus, ha- Jesus says this. He says, who are you here for? And the one guard yells out, Jesus of Nazareth. And at that moment, they all fall down. They all fell backwards and fall down. And, like, what a peculiar moment that we don't often talk about during the Easter time. Because if I'm one of the Roman guards and I've just fell down for absolutely no reason and the person next to me has also fallen down and all like, you know, the two, three dozen of us have all fallen down and then he repeats the question, who did you say that you were here for? Um, yes, I'm picking up my helmet and trying to find my sword. I'm not so sure anymore. Oh, uh, Jesus. Okay, I'm he. And he goes willingly with them. And the point that he's making is, I'm deciding to go with you. You're not making me go, right? This is humility, right? I mean, he could have lived a life greater than Solomon, but instead he chose to live a life as a servant to save humanity rather than to enjoy the, the earthly pleasures of fame, wealth, and power for himself. And It would be good for us not to overlook this. Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here again we see Jesus embracing his humanity, and now we see like the ascension of the poem. In verse 8, you know, he's showing us a better way there is a way to, there's a better way to be human, a whole way. And ultimately, it is to align your will with the Father's will. Jesus' calling, his mission was to die on the cross so we could be freed from the control of sin and death and evil. And with his resurrection, then we could know forgiveness, love, and eternal life. And then verses 10 through 11, he says, Paul is uh, in effect saying, while it may not be obvious now, everyone is going to know this reality that Jesus is, is the Lord, um, and every, tongue, uh, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. It may not be obvious now, but it is going to be a very clear reality for everybody. That's what he's saying. Now, Jesus dies for you and me, and he lives again for you and me, and that is an incredible part of the story, but that's not the end of the story. Because as we enter into this belief, as we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we also then enter into a community. And that's when it gets tricky again. Because like, oh, I kind of like this Jesus part. Like, that, that's great, that's safe, that is awesome. But now I kind of get the church part then too. And that's, that could be really great, but have we not all experienced a few misfires in Christian community? It's difficult. Our frustrations get the best of us, right? We get fatigued. We, 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 we think that there's a better way of doing things. Ultimately, on some level, our selfishness gets in the way. And no one likes a selfish person. No one even likes being selfish when they recognize it about themselves. We learn this early on. But then we also learn how we can be selfish in sneaky ways. We learn about being passive-aggressive. And then we come to grips with our own hypocrisy and, and we live this muted Christian life, almost like this christianity light version because we're like, I'm just no good at being a Christian, so I'm just going to just kinda hang off on the fringes a little bit. And then we enter into this false notion of faking it till you make it. Man, if there's one phrase that I wish I could delete from like, the societal lexicon, it would be, fake it till you make it. I hate that line. And it comes up often around me i I, I guess people just know that i hate it and they just like to rub it in my face i don't know but i promise you no one has ever succeeded in life by faking it long enough and then been promoted like there's not there's there's no i shouldn't say no it's very unlikely um, that in your job world like when when you're faking it till you make it that the, the boss is going to notice look how inauthentic this person is we should promote them right that is very unlikely going to happen what usually happens in faking it till you make it um, is that you actually like take a step back and you observe and in observing you learn something and in learning something you grow and, and there becomes like an, an evolution and, and, and that's God willing some type of arrival you know, w- w- or, or, or crossing a threshold of some sort. But you're not being rewarded for being fake, okay? There's a big difference there. Fake it till you make it is a sly enemy of authenticity and humility. Like, you can't really pretend to care about people and not really, and, and, and that be a meaningful friendship that you're going to enjoy with somebody. In fact, most people know when you're just pretending to like them anyway, right? It's true, they do. If you, don't, if you think you're getting away with it, you're not. Just, 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 just heads up. I'm going to be your best friend tonight. Um <laughs> We think that by being self-aware that we're, that we're, that we're going to, you know, um, we think fake it till you make it is like a moment of self-awareness, but it's not actually. It's a moment of self-enabling dysfunctional behavior and it's going to continue building a poor character in you. The bad news, that's bad news, right? The even worse news is, is to grow. It's a lot harder. And that's why the temptation of faking it is appealing to us. Because if we want to grow, we've got to confront all the, the messy, difficult things that we don't like about us and other people. And that's kind of why fake it till you make it kind of has a, has, has a foothold in the culture. It's also what makes Christian community difficult to experience as well. The good news is that every healthy community has flawed people. Every healthy community has flawed people. You don't have to fake that. We already know. We're all flawed, and that's why we get to be part of the church, and that's a good thing. And in doing so, we get to make this not about us. What makes the Christian community special, though, is that we're confronting our flawed nature by trying our best to follow Jesus and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. And then, what makes it also really special is that we get to do this together. And that's why I'm really excited about this an entire year about talking about community. An entire year of talking about the goodness and the virtues of the church, even though it can be difficult to experience such things in the church. Often, we, are, we, we feel that the Bible is asking us to pick between our ambition and, and God's will. Like, There's things that we want to do with our life. There's things that we want to become. There's accomplishments that we want to succeed in. And sometimes we feel like the Bible, when it tells us, like, hey, take other people's interests above your own, we, we take that also sometimes to mean that, we don't, that the Bible doesn't want you to, to blossom and flourish as a person. And ambition is a really tricky thing in the Christian life. It's not that God wants us to be a bunch of stormtroopers from Star Wars. Remember the stormtroopers from Star Wars? Any Star Wars fans in here? I'm not feeling you. Okay, there's, there's a handful of us. I wish I had a picture. I, I, I should have thought of this earlier. The stormtroopers are, you know, as you know, like identical. They're clones. Um, they're the same person. They, they, they don't have any unique personality apart from each other, okay? God is not looking for a kingdom of stormtroopers. That's why he created all of us differently. That's why we have our wonderful personalities, our unique gifting, our different experiences, our different cultures, our different family um, cultures, all sorts of things. That's why we're all different. And God celebrates that It wants that as part of the body of Christ. With ambition, he wants us to flourish and be the people that he wants us to be, but he wants us to do this in a humble sense. And so what if our ambitions were that other people could, would, could profit outside of ourselves? What if when we received power we, we shared the benefit of this with, with others? And, and we still were able to to fulfill the the calling that God has placed on our lives. The problem always becomes when we grab more for ourselves than God intends for us. Metaphorically speaking, the problem always becomes when we cut in front of the line. And to go a step further, when we try to make it more about ourselves than we should. That's the problem. So what can authentic, humble, Christian community actually look like? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has... A, a great book about this, and, and you could read this. It's called Life Together. Um, it's like 115 pages. It's a, it's a very easy read. And Bonhoeffer was this great German pastor theologian that was imprisoned uh, for resisting Hitler and the, the Nazi Germany during the Third Reich. And before he was imprisoned, during the days of the Nazi oppression, uh, Bonhoeffer was teaching kind of like in this underground seminary, and he compiled his notes and he kind of came up with his book. And he, and towards the end of the book, he outlines seven principles for Christian community. And he says, one, refuse to speak uncharitably about a brother or a sister. I mean, how different would church be if everybody refused to speak uncharitably about a brother or sister? Remember that we are each sinners saved by grace. Three, listen long and patiently to one another. Four, be willing to be interrupted to meet a need. Five, bear the burdens of other believers. Six, share God's word with each other. And lastly, understand that Christian authority expresses itself through service. I mean, this is a great list. And it feels right because it's very, very biblically rich. And a lot of this feels like what we want. Bonhoeffer is saying, hey, don't make it about you. We see a lot of humility here. It's not about you, it's not you making it about you. It's about us trying to follow Jesus together. And here are some of the principles that we could, we could use to benefit f- from that. It's when these principles are violated. It's when we don't forgive each other. It's when we don't reconcile with each other. That's when we start losing community. That's when we don't want to go back. That's when we start saying things like, the church, man, all those people are a bunch of hypocrites. I ask you, have you ever discovered that you are the subject of a gossip session? Have you ever been given the details? He's overbearing. She acts like she knows everything. And then there's the name calling. You get mad, you get hurt, you feel the need to defend yourself, you want to leave. Well, if that's that's how they are, I don't want any part of that. Let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself as the gossiper or as the offending party within that community? And sometimes you even had, you started off with a good notion of thinking that you were going to protect the community from, from, and, putting, and put someone in their place. But when you did so, you did it very unlovingly and you hurt this person. And then the guilt caught up with you and you thought to yourself, this is why I should not lead. This is why I shouldn't teach. This is why I should not serve. This is why I should just mind my own business and not bother anybody. If that's you, if you're feeling that, I want you, I would love to invite you to forgive yourself. And I want you to know that we need you. We need you in this community. You are a needed part. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, nope, nope. You don't know me. I'm not that good of a person. I'm very messed up. I have issues. I'm not good at friendship. I'm not good at calling people back. I'm not a good team player. Um, I have a whole list of things that people have told me over the years and I've started to believe them and that's why I'm choosing to keep my distance. Or maybe you're that person who looks good, good on the outside and you know your inner monologue is hearing this, yeah, you should hear what people say about me and, and these are the people that love me. You should hear what the people like, who are close to me say about me and they accept me. You know, uh, m- Maybe it's their spouse, maybe it's their children, maybe it's their roommate or their parent or somebody that's close to them but they're more or less, you're you're saying to yourself, you don't want me either. Forgive yourself. Allow God to change your heart. Allow God to let you grow. Rely on the strength and the grace that Jesus offers us. If he can create the universe, he can change our hearts, right? Can I get an amen on that? The most potentially damaging person in any community is, is the individual who says that they are the least flawed. This is the person who thinks to themselves, what well, community wouldn't want me? Let us not be that person, right? Instead, instead, having the same mindset as Christ together leads us to an amazing community and brings great beauty and love to the world. This is the hope of the church. This is why it is special. This is what Philippians 2 is actually about. It's a place that is intended to be very relationally rich, that it's, it's, it's supposed to be significantly greater than anything that we can observe in our entertainment culture, or in any sports culture, or our office culture, or even in our family culture. But blessed be the sitcom, or locker room, or lunchroom, or last name that is anchored in Jesus. But because of the work that Jesus is doing in us, incredible things can happen in our lives, in the lives of those in our community, in the lives of those right next to us, and and throughout our world. There's this really great quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. And it it took me a minute to figure out, like, is this really true? Is it exaggerated? And the more I've sat on it, the, the more I've liked it. And he says, All life is interrelated. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Strangely enough, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way the world is made. I didn't make it that way. But this is, an in, this is the interrelated structure of reality. It kind of goes a, a bit against our American individualism. You can't be who you were intended to be until I am who I was intended to be in Christ. And we need to remember that Paul is writing this to a whole church in Philippi. I mean, he's writing these words not just to you as an individual. He's writing this to a community of people. You can't be who you were intended to be until the person next to you is who they were intended to be. And God is at work in their life and hopefully he's at work in yours. You can't be a Christian on your own. I want to tell you a quick story about my friend Dr. Dave. And Dr. Dave has been used in many sermons over the years and it's pretty much because he's an awesome guy. Dr. Dave is happily married. He's a podiatrist and he he married great, by the way. He's got two great kids um, who are now college and young adult years. Um, And and they're the type of kids that were, you know, good at everything that they did. They're, they're, They're that family. Among the many interesting things about Dr. Dave is that Dr. Dave has Tourette's Syndrome, and it's the cursing kind, okay? And it's like the real cursing kind. And I remember when I was talking to him on the phone for the first time, and the reason I know Dr. Dave was he was the head of my search committee um, at, at a previous church that I served at. And I remember talking to him on the phone, and he kept moving the receiver, um, and, and, and I was like, man, it really sounds like he's cursing at me. And that was new for me for a job interview, okay? And it was like in North Jersey, The Sopranos were on, um, and like, and like, literally, James Gandolfini like grew up like in the town next to where this church was. And I was like thinking to myself, like, he's really taking the Soprano thing way too far. And then I met him, and I was like, oh my goodness, like, like, wow, like it is, it is full on profanity, like nonstop. Um, and I went to public school. I took the bus to public school. And then after that, I graduated and I went to a Christian college, and let me tell you, like we all often think of like you know the sailors, you know like having you know like you know these awful mouths. I think a lot of sailors are coming out of Christian colleges. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, like I'm not desens. I, I I feel I am actually desensitized to profanity, not easily offended, and like man, it was just it, it was on. And it takes you a little bit to catch up. I loved the fact that they made Dr. Dave the head of the search committee. I love the fact that he was like one of my first impressions of this church. I love the fact that he was an elder of the church. I love that they let him do announcements and pastoral prayers d- during the service. <laughs> it's true. Now, he would I have to, I should say he he would he would try really hard in moderating um, when when he was when he had a microphone. But yeah. <laughs> Right? I told him once, actually. I'm like, I think I might have some of that Tourette's syndrome. <laughs> and, and he looked at me. I, I thought it was going like, to be like a funny joke. Like, yeah, maybe you do. Yeah. Um, he looked at me and said, no, um, profanity, profanity. Tim, profanity, profanity. Um, you lack profanity discipline and profanity self-control. <laughs> and like, I don't think I've ever had a more ironic moment in my life <laughs> than that. Now, God has used him in extraordinary ways over his 50 years. I mean, he, he, he's, been, he's, he's lived in his town all his life. He is the person, like, when, when a family in the community um, has a child that, that has been diagnosed with Tourette's Syndrome, like, they, they bring him over, even if he's a podiatrist, but, like, they bring him over for counseling. Like, how, how, did you, how did you make it through? How did you marry well and have these kids and, like, you know, and serve in all these ways that you've been serving? And he sits down and talks to people, and he's, he's a blessing to, the arch, to that church, to the community, He's, he's, he's Dr. Dave. But, he could, but it was a hard, hard road. I mean, he could have said to himself, all when, when, when people would come up to him and try to cast the demon of, of Tourette's Syndrome out of him in church, he could have said, you know, I'm not really sure I want to be part of this type of community. Or when people were judging him, or when people were saying, maybe he should not serve in this particular capacity. Maybe we should not give him a microphone or when people were saying things to his family that were very hard for them to take. It would've been very easy and very understandable for him to leave the community, but he didn't. And honestly, he's one of the inspirations that I have of like, if Dr. Dave can not just be in the community, but be like a leader in the Christian community, that is a beautiful community. In fact, it was one of the things that led me to that church. We, we had a few opportunities on the table and we were trying to process it t- t- through. And I was like, which church is going to let us be ourselves? Oh, this church. It was a beautiful experience. Now, he would be the first to tell you that he's not Jesus. But his friends would tell you, be the first to tell you that he's really striving to, in, in, in the humble sense. I hope we can all find a sense of belonging in community. Because I imagine this is the type of belonging community that we all want to be a part of. And we do this How? We do this again by having the same mindset as Christ together. That leads us to an amazing community and brings great beauty and love to the world. Now, I understand you might be suspicious about this and and you you might be unsure and you might feel anxiety about committing to to our community here. I mean, there's always that question. Like, it, it, it may not be worth it. I've done this before. I participated in a small group and it was great for a while, and then it got weird, and then it imploded, and I don't feel like doing that again. Or maybe you were part of a church plant, or maybe you were part of some other type of initiative, or maybe it was just a series of friendships around you. And we ask ourselves, is it going to be worth it? Whatever that experience was, I would love to encourage you to allow God to bring redemption to it. Use it as a cautionary tale if you want to. You, and, but whatever it is, Let God bring redemption to it because through Christ you can find something better. Is it going to be worth it? Mother Teresa had this great line where she said, the good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. But give your best anyway. If we look back on our lives divorced from community and we find that over the years, the best examples of community that we had was our sitcoms and we, was, we, we, we feel more attached to Verizon and Comcast rather than to the people of Jesus, I imagine that is going to be a very harsh and bitter and sobering realization for us. Instead, let us live mindfully of the richness that we have in one another because of what God is doing in our lives. I feel like one of the lessons that god keeps showing me over and over in different ways is that i must be faithful with the next opportunity and part of the next opportunity is us part of the next opportunity are the people that we're going to be bumping into in life tomorrow and it's part of the beauty of things it's part of the mess of things it's part of why we have all these love hate relationships with the same things including church including ourselves including community But thanks be to God because he frees us from this trap of trying to make things about ourselves or pretending to make it that way. Thanks be to God that he says there is a rich and vibrant and beautiful community called the church that is trying to follow me, that is trying to make a difference in the world, that wants you to be who you are, who you were created to be. Be a part of that. Invite others into that. And with God's grace, maybe, maybe we can make a difference in this world for other people. May we be people who are committed to following Jesus and experience community together. And may we do that as soon as possible. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we are grateful for many things, Lord. We are grateful for the depths of your scriptures. We are are grateful for the example of Jesus and his humility. We are grateful, Lord, for our salvation that unifies us in identity, in mission, and also in community. And so, Father, we pray that we'd be good stewards of the moments that we have. We pray that we'd be good stewards of the relationships that we have access to. We pray, Lord, that we would be people committed to walking with one another. May we be people who forgive one another readily, And may we be people willing to receive that forgiveness that is offered to us. But Father, we pray that we would be people worthy of the name Christian. Thank you for loving us, Lord. And may we love each other the way that you love us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.